please stay tuned until the end of the episode for important disclosure information. Welcome to another episode of Dose of Dividends. I'm your host, Dr. Dividend. Today, I'm on with Bristol Dividends. He's at, at Bristol Dividends on Twitter. Bristol, what's going on, man? What's going on, man? How are you? I'm happy to be here. Thank you for oh, having me. I'm happy to have you on, dude. I'm glad I met you through the spaces that we used to do on Twitter. Um, we got to bring those back, but thanks again for coming on. Absolutely. We'd love to do it. So first question I have for you is, how did you get started in investing? Uh, me personally, um, I, I feel like I've always kind of had that interest in investing, like ever since I was in high school uh, and I had a few like summer jobs and made a little bit of money. I was one of those kids that was like researching, um, like how to turn your money into more money. And the stock market is just one of those things that you see consistently. So um, pretty much my 18th birthday, I made a investing account on uh, that app Acorns, if you've ever heard of it. It's one of those, yeah. like, you can invest your own money, but they round up your change. Um, and so my parents gave me, like, 100 or $200, and I put in a, a couple hundred. And then from there, the rest kind of history. Um, I st- did that for a couple years, and then I got developed enough where I realized that um, I could actually buy the same ETFs they were buying but not pay their fees. So that led me into Robinhood, and then I just did that for a while. And then around 2019, after a little bit more experimenting over the years, so me turning 18 was 2015. And then 2019, I fully transitioned over to um, dividend growth investing and focusing on individual stocks and ETFs as well. So that's where I'm at right now. So a couple follow-up questions. Um, do you have any, like, did you have any person guide you in investing? Did you know, like, did you have a mentor? Um, not like one specific person, um, really like, I don't know anybody in my life directly, like direct friends and family members that takes the stock market very seriously. Um, but I did have a business class in high school, um, where we would watch like shark tank and all stuff like that all the time. So I definitely had a concept of like businesses and, um, kind of like how the stock market worked a little bit. But, um, really I got a lot of my early guidance from, uh, YouTube and just reading articles online. Dude, that's so funny because I didn't like have a mentor, like personally, like exactly the same boat as you. I don't know anybody who invests seriously in my personal life. And I met like I had a high school teacher that had a business class and we watched Shark Tank and The Apprentice, all those sorts of things. And like it kind of opened my eyes to business and he opened my like opened me up to investing and the idea of it. But I did not take investing seriously until like three years ago now, just because I was like screwing around with day trading. I don't know what your uh, experience was like before um, long-term investing and dividend growth investing. Do you want to speak towards that? Like, were you in the same boat? Um, There was a small window of time um, where I wasn't in college anymore and I hadn't started working where I was like, oh yeah, it's very realistic to just make 1% a day or whatever. Like, Like day trading, you watch these videos and they'll have you believing that like you can just compound your money so fast. I know. just, I mean, I had my, my share of wins and losses, but the heavy losses definitely were outweighing like the small wins yep. and um, day trading just definitely wasn't for me. I'm not saying that there aren't people that could do it, but I would say the vast majority of people 
probably will not see sustained success from day trading. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that. And I don't think it was for me either. I like I was working at Home Depot at the time and I was running like receiving. So anytime I was getting trucks, I was unloading that stuff. But when I wasn't having trucks, I was glued to my Robinhood app. And I was like, oh, go up, line, go up, line, go up. And I was like, <laughs> and when you when you make a little bit of money, you're like, Ooh. but like when you don't, you're just like, you're just shitting the your portfolio is basically shitting the bed. And you're just like that energy that you're trying to like that you're spending on day trading is just not worth the pennies that you're making. At least in my case, I was making like not enough that the time was worth it. So that's why I stopped day trading. And I just started like learning about long-term dividend growth investing and just how sustainable of a strategy it was that you don't have to spend every minute looking at your phone. <laughs> like, Absolutely. I also just discovered that I don't have the the risk tolerance for day trading. Like I would, it would like ruin my whole day when like I took like bad trades and um, it's it's just there's much more peace of mind with my current strategy and how I look at the market nowadays. Oh, totally agree, dude. I haven't even looked at like VWAP in years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't tell you how much time I spent on that. And you just see like five fifty dollars to, to five thousand accounts and you're just trading like zero dates to expiration options and get stopped out in like 10 seconds after you take the trade. <laughs> Uh, uh, one thing i'm glad i did was i definitely stayed away from options i was definitely trading stocks that i shouldn't have but at least i avoided like calls and puts oh i started i I was like literally gambling like just yoloing into options and i was like getting stopped out in one like to zero in an hour and it's like why am i (laughs) doing this yeah i was like oh dude terrible terrible time but hey i learned from it and that's what matters right change the strategy up and that is what matters um so being a dividend growth investor, I'm sure we look for sort of the same things in a company, but I would just love to get your perspective on like what sort of things you're looking for when you're looking at an investment. For sure. I'm sure they are very similar, but um, I'm obviously looking for like well-established companies. Um, I'm not really looking for like the next, you know, hundred X company. I want a company that's like well-established. They've shown a history of like um, spitting out free cash flow. They have growing earnings per share over time. Um, they have to pay a dividend. That's just a, a, like, obviously that's not required for good investment, but for something Mm -hmm. to me invest in, they do have to do that. Um, and they have to grow that dividend at least, um, on some sort of regular schedule. I look for at least once a year. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the only company I own right now that's hasn't raised their dividend is JP Morgan. And I know that they're probably going to get back to it. Jamie Dimon is like publicly criticized the government for like all their restrictive, uh, like rules that they put on the banks because um, he wants to raise the dividend, but I guess his hands are kind of tied right now. All right. Um, I didn't know that. Um, I know banking's yeah. a disaster right now. And um, yeah, I'm more talking, money. yeah, right. I'm more talking about maybe a couple of months ago where the last time he was talking about this, because right now it is a, a shit show. But um, I remember he was talking about how um, kind of the, whatever, I guess the, I don't want to say cash they have to have on hand, but, the certain like ratios that they have to meet. Yeah. So um, it's like loan to deposit, right? That one you're talking right. about. And I think that he was just saying that like the, the health of the bank was in a really good spot, but because of these ratios, they actually needed to like not raise the dividend um, for the time being. So they need to raise it at some point this year. They're going to lose their streak. Um, I thought they, I thought they had paused it recently. Um, yeah. They're probably like six quarters in to like oh, paying okay. the same dividend now. Got you. Um, so anyway, to, 
to circle back, um, so it has to pay a dividend, has to raise the dividend on some sort of like regular schedule. And then um, buybacks are definitely a plus for me. Not like every company I own does buybacks, but if a company is aggressively buying back their own stock, like I'm pretty much going to fall in love. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the bigger the moat, the better. Um, people kind of like abuse the word moat, in my opinion, because like, I mean, we've seen how fast like big companies can fall off. But yeah, I think that word moat was thrown around too much. And it's like, <laughs> right. you're looking at like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example of like, like Zoom. They're like, Zoom has a moat. I don't know what Zoom's moat is. <laughs> Google can just come out tomorrow like they already have with Google Meets or Microsoft Teams. It's like, all right, now what's Zoom's moat? I feel like that word, I agree with you on that. Moat gets thrown around too easily. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, it is but, a, it's a thing, but but it's not something that really I'm looking for where a company is and where I think it's going much less than like how I think it, um, how competitive I think it is. I, when I think of the word moat, I think of it as like your defense against your competitors. Yeah. That's kind of like how I look at the word. So like a company like Coca-Cola, for example, their defense is like this long brand history and this like, it's just like ingrained in people's life. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like if they wanted to start charging like $5 a can, like it, the moat would just disappear. You know? So Yeah, you got to have to a certain extent, like. Pricing power, like I think of a company like Starbucks, like how many times have they raised prices in the past three years, but they just have the brand loyalty, the ecosystem. It's literally ingrained in people's lives and they keep getting away with it. Of course, um, pricing power has got a limit somehow, but a company like that, I think has really good pricing power, but totally agree with yeah, you. Yeah, very true. Totally agree with you on the um, the Coca-Cola example. Um as far as share buybacks, just going back to what you're saying on share buybacks, I also like share buybacks. Um, I love seeing like decreasing shares outstanding because you as an investor who's already invested is seeing their ownership stake increase, right? But um, my one beef with, or two beefs, I guess, with share buybacks would be that they get canceled and like nothing happens, right? Like a company initiates a share buyback and then if they scrap it or cut it down, it's like, all right, go we go on, right? If that was a dividend, that company would be like, sent to the woodshed like <laughs> the dividend gets cut i just love that like the the difference between share buyback cuts and dividend cuts is huge and, absolutely yeah yeah and one more thing is just like i feel like comp not every company does a good job buying them back because like i look at like meta who was buying back shares when there was like 300 dollars a share and then like when shit hit the fan and their valuation was cut in like a third they stopped buying back shares so it's like the time to buy back shares they're not doing it. They're doing it when they're flushed with cash and the share price is high. So, um, but like, I agree with you. I do love share buybacks, but I'd much rather have a dividend just because that's cash in my hand. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I, th I definitely think the system is flawed, mm -hmm. um, especially with like timing them. Uh, like a company like Costco, I'm happy to see them not buying back stock because it is like pretty darn expensive. I'd rather them just build some new stores um, or build up their cash. But um, then you see other, and I should say, I don't love buyback announcements. I love <laughs> when I look at the income statement and like, I see that they reduced the share count like 5% this year. That makes, yeah. that feels incredible. But um, one thing that like when, uh, maybe you mean that you'd rather get like a special dividend rather than a buyback. But um, as far as dividends go, I only want to see a company commit to like what they can like comfortably pay me for sure. 
And yeah. I kind of see buybacks as like a way to use extra cash, I guess, because if they use buyback money to like raise the dividend, they might make less the next year and then then they have to cut the dividend. You know what I mean? So I agree. I kind of see buybacks as a way to use extra money. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying buybacks are bad. Like, uh, like, trust me, I love I love seeing a good buyback. Um, I just when given the choice between the two, I think I like more more of that free cash flow like diverted to a dividend but i won't complain about i think of like apple like i hold apple and they i think they could raise their dividend much more than they do but they also spend a shitload on share buyback so i'm just wondering if they could boost their dividend growth as opposed to buying back shares but now i think you might see that with the share buyback tax i don't know if you've heard about that right i did yeah yeah so that's one thing that might shake things up um, I, uh, I'm in that same boat with you on Apple, by the way. I'm like, we got to do better than 4%. Y'all, y'all right. kill me. Right. Dude, they're sitting on like enough cash to buy countries. It's like, come on guys. I think of that. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I, I own a few, not many shares uh, of companies that don't pay a dividend. Um, Google would definitely be my biggest position, um, that doesn't pay a dividend. And I, I think they have enough free cash flow that they're going to have to not have to, but I think it's very likely they start paying a dividend in the future. But as far as like Google, like I, they have tons of cash on hand. I wish they would pay a dividend and I like I wish Apple would raise it because I feel like these companies are gushing free cash flow and are just sitting on it. But maybe they know something we don't. Right. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> um, all right. So you mentioned that you've been investing for a, a little while now and you started taking dividend growth investing more seriously. Do you have a trade that has like worked out really well for you that you're just like, oh, everything went to plan. The thesis worked. I'm holding on for the long term and I've I've, I've done pretty well with this stock. Um, so actually, I had two that I want to share. But um, but honestly, just when you invest for like the long term, like lots of my stocks have just like appreciated over time. Like it's just kind of the nature of it. You know what I mean? Like these companies have grown. They raise their dividend. And they bought back some of their shares. So like naturally the valuation on many of my companies has gone up over the last like four years now. So, but um, two that really stood out that kind of had a message behind them um, is Apple actually is one of them. So uh, my first buy on Apple um, was $221 a share. And that was before the four for one split. Gotcha. So um, kind of like buying at around like $55 in today's Mm -hmm. price. So and I remember at the time we were still having like the same conversations about like, is Apple overvalued is like the 20 something PE, like too much to pay. Yeah. Um, and I just, it's one of those examples of like when you're buying a great stock, like sometimes just buying at a fair price is going to pay off like very handsomely in the long term. Um, Cause now I'm up like over a hundred percent on that position. Oh, and when I was nice. buying, like people were saying like, you know what I mean? Maybe it's overvalued. Maybe now's not a good time. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. Um, I, yeah, that's one thing I've struggled with just because I've learned so much more about valuation that I just feel like I'm so picky and so like just like waiting for the perfect time to strike. But like I wouldn't own a company like Costco because I did I did buy shares before I cared as much about valuation and knew as much. So like when it comes to Costco, that's one that I wouldn't own. The other stock that I wanted to share was actually one that I kind of ran into um, by luck. So when I was first starting out my portfolio, a big part of how I got started was I would look up the aristocrats and the dividend kings mm-hmm. and kind of go um, and look more into their statistics and how they've been performing over time. 
And one of them that I bought pretty much just for diversification sake was um, Nucor, ticker uh, NUE. And uh-huh. they're just a steel maker. Um, they, they make steel. So it was a very like basic company. They had like a about a 4% dividend at the time with like very like slow, steady dividend growth. And um, the pandemic like took the steel prices like insane. And then, yeah, I'm, a, I'm sitting on like uh, 170% returns right now oh. on Nucor. Yeah, and I think crazy. they bought back like over 25% of their stock. Like, so yeah, like they been. shrunk the company like a ton during the pandemic. So oh, that's definitely one that worked out. Oh, dude, I got to look into that company. Yeah, I never, I actually have never heard of it. I've made the mistake of just looking at Kings and Aristocrats and I kind of picked some shitty ones that are just floundering. I mean, I looked at, uh, before I like really dug into companies like I do now, I had looked at Vanity Fair Corp and uh, thank God I <laughs> sold out of that. <laughs> needless to say that dividend cut was brutal but yeah that that's those are some pretty sweet investments you know on the flip side do you have any stocks that you thought like you did all this research the thesis was there and then it just didn't work out for sure um there's been some of them that i had that um i cut over time like over time like things that didn't match my strategy or um they they weren't going the way that i thought they would or my thesis changed um, I cut those over time, um, things like AT&T or uh, PPL Corp. Uh, yeah. Recently this year, I cut out my um, my utility stocks because um, my they just didn't match my thesis. Like I have such like a long term trajectory and they, their growth is like pretty slow and steady. Right. Um, but one stock in particular that I think a lot of uh, dividend growth investors could could relate to this is is 3m good old 3m yeah dude i was thinking in the back of my head i was thinking 3m that's so funny so um where i kind of when i first started dividend growth investing one stock that i just knew i wanted to invest in was 3m um because i saw the products at work all the time the, the classic peter lynch like buy what you know um and at the time i was buying it i think my first buy of 3m was like high 160s and um, it had previously been in the 200s. So I was like, man, I'm getting this one on a pullback. Like, I love this. stock. So when I first started my dividend portfolio, it was one of my largest positions. Like, I think it was like overweighted in my portfolio. And um, I mean, you could see where it is now. I'm still holding this one. I bought it as recently as like last week. I personally think like this is a stealing buy if they can get through this legislation. But that's definitely the, the gamble that yeah. you're taking. Yeah, as long as you know the risk too, like there's nothing wrong with taking it. For me, that's funny that you mentioned 3M because that was one that I kind of had the same thesis as you. Like I said, I was working at the Home Depot. 3M products are everywhere. And just looking and you're like, all right, buy what you know. And I think I saw it on a pullback like you did, bought it, took a little bit of a haircut on it. And then I realized, like once I realized that, oh, this litigation is crazy. Like there is... right. on like unknown effects that this could happen on the business and you start to see the dividend growth really slowing now so for me i cut 3m it's not a risk i want to take but i don't hate on anybody trying to find some value here and be gritty when others are fearful right <laughs> for sure yeah it's one of those where like i definitely like i know the risk and i know um kind of like the the waiting game that it is going to be I think it's a really attractive buying opportunity. Um, but yeah, like there's a there's a complete risk that I'm going to lose a ton of money on this one and end up cutting my losses at some point. But um, I just think 
right now they're paying like such a high starting yield that as long as they don't cut the dividend, like that's a very important part. But as long as they maintain that dividend or keep doing the token raises, then um, like I could, I could wait it out. Like, I think I did the math at some point. It was like, if I bought a 3% yielder, like if I sold it and bought a 3% yielder that was growing, like, I think I did like seven or 8% a year. Yeah. I have like a nine year like window that it would take to like catch up to 3M's like current yield. Today. So like, yeah. So that like I can I kind of have at least like five to ten years for them to get back in motion, get through these these lawsuits and get their growth back. Hey dude, it looks like you did the math and know the risk. <laughs> I don't I don't hate the player. <laughs> right. Um, um, the other one I was just, gonna say. Oh, go ahead. One thing I was gonna say is like I told you I keep an eye on buybacks a lot. Like just looking at their like recent um like earnings, they bought back like 20 million shares. So like uh, even, and they have like a total of like, I want to say like 500 million or something like that. Like they bought back a significant like chunk of their shares. So it's like, even they are like capitalizing on the low price. So it's like, yeah. okay. Well, that's like that's solid to see. That's something I didn't know. I, I'm, yeah. I, think it, I think it's interesting that you mentioned telecoms too, because one of my thesis that didn't play out was Verizon, pretty much same thing as AT&T. I just saw like my cash sitting there and you look at the share appreciation and it's gone nowhere. Like, yeah, it pays a juicy dividend, but it's like, if I got time on my side, hopefully I want dividend growth and capital appreciation. Like I want those shares to move about and appreciate in value. So for me, it didn't make sense. I was like, Verizon's everywhere. I am a Verizon customer, but I'm like, am I like, where's the growth coming from? And it's, uh, sure. yeah, it's a capital intensive industry. Uh, Dude, I'm an absolute rider for my stocks. Maybe like I, I'm still holding Verizon, um, <laughs> and I even though this is how ride or die I am, I've I've been on an AT and T family plan with my parents like forever. Yeah, I switched onto my own plan and went to Verizon just because I was like, they need me. They need me. This is <laughs> you bought shares. You were like, I I am I'm bought in. Oh, it's time to make the money yes. back. Dude, that's I'm hilarious. Uh, what's the what's the portfolio like how many positions do you have you're i know you're riding die how many positions are in there um 40 41 stocks two etfs nice so when does the bristol etf drop oh it's already like it's already in the works you know what i mean <laughs> I, I tweet about it regularly all the buys dude that's awesome. but uh but yeah i don't know i don't think i'd ever be starting my own etf that's way too much pressure i gotta yeah. worry about my own portfolio much oh, less dude, other I people's money <laughs> so feel you on that um because if you screw up you're like all right let's eat it and move on but if you screw up and yeah, you're an yeah. etf everybody screws up and they all hate you so i feel you on that like what do you mean the dividend got cut i was like oh shit right oh <laughs> uh, dude that's hilarious <laughs> next question i got for you dude when you're how much how much do you pay attention to valuation if i'm starting like a brand new p position it's pretty important to me like I'm looking at like a few different ratios. PE ratio is pretty big for me, but a lot of what's important to me is like the status of the business. Like if like how their earnings per share is growing over time and like their policy on dividends or policy on buybacks. Um, so if I'm like, let's say I'm going to jump into like a position to make it like a mid-sized position, like in one day, then valuation is pretty darn important to me. But when I'm buying, um, I'm usually throwing in like $50 into a stock at a time. So I'm not like sweating over valuation yeah. too much. Um, a metric that I personally love, like I've already have established my portfolio. Like I've picked my stocks. I rarely, um, add or subtract one, maybe one or two a year. Um, but 
Um, I love looking at the five-year average starting yield of a stock. So if I tell you that like Starbucks has the average starting yield, Stella, chill. That's my dog seeing something outside. Come on. It's not even nothing. She knows, um, she knows about the rate hike coming. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> she sees it in the rain. Um, yeah. So if I tell you that Starbucks has like a 2.2% starting yield, um, a five-year average, that's where they sit at. Then if their, stocks, if their stock starts falling and now they're sitting at a um, – like a 2.5%, 2.6%. I start like my ears start standing up. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, I'm getting a much better deal historically than other investors who started to buy Starbucks were getting. Cause I'm just so focused on that yield and like how they're going to grow the dividend over time and things like that. So I'm focused on like getting a good deal compared to what other investors have gotten historically. So rather than looking at like these individual metrics, I'm much more focused on like the big picture. So when Starbucks was dipping to like 70 and $80, yeah, you could throw like 70 and $80 into like all these ratios and kind of see where you're coming out at. But mm -hmm. I just saw that their yield was like starting to approach like the 3% range for a starting yield. And with how I feel Starbucks is going to go in the future, that's why I was buying that heavily months ago when that was happening. Awesome. Similar thing is like me with Union Pacific right now, like they grow their dividends so aggressively and they have such a good like policy with their uh, free cash flow and like how they reward shareholders that I know that's going to do well going forward. So now that I'm able to buy it at like a 2.8% starting yield versus the like 2% I was getting a year ago, it's like a no brainer for me. I just looked into Union Pacific like probably like actually a while ago now, probably like six months ago at the time I wrote up on my newsletter and I just fell in love with the company, dude. I was like, where has this been my whole life? And I, I looked at it and I was like, dude, railroads, it sounds so basic and like boring, but man, who's going to compete with a railroad? You got I think that's what them. all of us love. It's yeah. boring, like return me my money on a regular calendar date. Yeah. Dude, the dividend growth is huge. And you want to talk about competitive advantages? That company has a moat as wide as I've seen. It's like you, sure. rail, rails are privatized in this country and you have four of them. And they are have railroads right out of the busiest ports in the country in Los Angeles and Long Beach. 40% of all goods shipped to the U.S. go through those two ports. More than likely, they're leaving by Union Pacific Rain or truck. They're working on autonomous trains. There's tons of stuff going on in that company. Yeah, I'm in love. Um, I don't know if you watch like Joseph Carlson's videos on YouTube. Um, he recently... Oh, you got to look him up. Um, yeah. His name's Joseph Carlson. He makes like, he has two channels. One's like highly dividend focused. Mm -hmm. And then he also has another one where he focuses on growth stocks and stuff. But um, he's just, he recently got into Union Pacific and he's made some like in-depth videos about the stock. And it just makes me like fall in love with it even more. Yeah, dude, like, man, this, 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 this thing's awesome. This dip has been like, I've just been hammering it almost every day. And it's it's like my third biggest position now. Where awesome. I, I, think, I think it's top 10 for me, but um stock appreciation has taken some of mine into like some some levels that it takes yeah just throwing dollars time to catch up right i know that they're really the long-term growth is like mind-boggling uh markets returning to like fair valuation if you look over time so where we're at right now so i don't know how much more there is of a dip but gonna add to stuff that i see that's at a good value and just sit and wait it out absolutely for me for valuation i've been looking at discounted cash flow models but really cool stuff and looking to learn more. I've been using EV to EBIT. 
I think enterprise value is a true picture of how much the company's worth when you factor in debt and cash, because a lot of companies will just take on debt to fuel growth. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's not a long-term winning strategy. So I look at that and I look at the EBIT because the more you go down that income statement, the more shenanigans they play, like with debt no and amortization. So I think EV to EBIT has been my favorite so far. And I'm just trying to do as much research on that as I can. Sometimes I run into issues with it. Like when I just looked into Eli Lilly, they always are trading at a premium to all the other drug makers. So it's like when you try to like bring them back down to earth, it makes that share price look crazy. Right. So I may nibble. I'm sure Costco's like that yeah, as well. Yeah, same thing. I was just thinking about with Costco. So like before I got as in-depth with valuation, I was just looking pullbacks in places I felt comfortable and like averaging in, but I wouldn't own names like Costco or ASML. I don't know if you're familiar with ASML as well. Oh yeah. I see them at work all the time. Yeah. Oh really? Cool. I work in the semiconductor industry. Yeah. Oh no way. I didn't know that, man. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I'm actually i I'm a pipe fitter. So my role is actually like installing like gas, water lines, things like that, that go to the tools that like build the chips. Oh, dude, that's sick. We got to do another pod and talk all in depth on that. That's <laughs> yeah, so no cool. doubt. I work at a I work at a Samsung facility. Oh, OK. So ASML definitely huge. And Samsung, I think, is their biggest customer. So, For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I I am not touching any other semiconductor stocks because I don't know. I feel like uh, I don't know if you follow them at all, but like NVIDIA, AMD trading at crazy multiples. Everyone's trying to short, which means when everyone's piled one way, it keeps going higher. And I don't know how long that gonna last right. so i don't I, uh, I don't follow them too much my whole like career is like based on them so that i can't get involved in the stocks too that's just too much <laughs> and you just bring work home every day i'm like levered up everything my whole income combined in my stock portfolio is based on this one industry betting heavy on semis <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah just to close out valuation i i think it's important unless i'm learning more about it but then again i wouldn't own stocks that i own today if I went by all my valuation rules today. So it's a give and take. You got to just do what you're comfortable with. Um, right. I don't have anything too elaborate as far as my like evaluation, um, like metrics or anything. Like I said, I'm a pretty like basic guy. Like I'm really looking at like the companies themselves and like I'm identifying companies that I'm in love with. And then I just look for, I look at the portfolio of the companies I've already picked and then look for attractive valuations within them. Oh, dude. All right. As you've been investing for all these years, what do you find is the hardest part of investing? So for, I feel like a lot of people probably say things like patience. Um, and I wanted to come at it from a bit of a different angle. Um, and I think one of the hardest things is conviction, like really believing in like what you're buying. And I've, I've discovered this a lot from trying to talk to the guys at work and getting them to start investing is like I could be a dead horse like all day about like how good investing is, how like much it can help you like prosper going forward. But if you don't believe in what you're buying, as soon as the stock goes against you, like you're going to want to sell. Like you're you're not going to believe in like the future of the market. So I think conviction is the biggest thing when you're looking at investments is you have to really like love the company you're buying or love the price you're getting and really believe in that because once you have conviction on your side, like the price going against you isn't going to bother you because you're going to believe in it so much. You'll want to buy more. Right. Um, And just seeing like, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're good. It's just, 
Yeah, I mean, that's really everything that I wanted to say about conviction. But I think without conviction, like you can't be a successful investor because um, you're just not ready. Like the market is going to go both ways, even if we're on a longer term uptrend. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you if you don't believe in what you're buying, know what you're buying and know why you're buying it. It's really hard to be a successful investor. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And when I started like by messing around day trading, I didn't even know anything that these companies basically almost nothing what these companies did i would just see the ticker and just look for like technicals and just being like oh let's buy it it's going up right and then when i would make my position i would enter my position it drops you have no conviction to ride that out you're not even in there for the long term so it's like how do you manage that as an investor stuff's going to go against you you're never going to buy the bottom and if you do it's like sheer luck so you got to be ready for it to go down and you got to know what you own and you can't borrow conviction because when shit hits the fan and or money on the line, you got to be able to live with your choices and basically be invested. I know that sounds like, I know it's funny that we're talking about investing, but you have to be invested in your choices. 100%. All right. Last question I have for you before our lightning round. <laughs> what do you think is the most important factor in your investor journey so far? It's, it's really hard to like wrap like an entire like process of like successes and failures into like, like one thing, but I would just have to say like consistency. Um, uh, like even through like the failed day trading and through like messing around with ETFs or this app, that app, messing with crypto for a period, like through all of that, like I've always known that like investing is how that I'm going to reach like the financial place I want to put my family in. So investing has almost become like an ingrained part of like who I am. Like it's almost a bill at this point. Like some people pay their car bill. Like I know that I'm going to be using my income to invest and that's just part of who I am. And um, I feel like that's like the one thing that has like, that's what's going to put me ahead is I'm incredibly consistent. Like I put this as a priority in my life and I'm going to make sure that it happens. Solid, solid advice. Like just just knowing that like you have you're paying yourself first, basically. And when when it like some people they spend and then save what little is left over as investors. I think a lot of us, uh, myself included, invest first and then spend what's left over. So that way you know you're putting yourself on the right path. You know that like you're contributing consistently and not getting scared when the market goes down and seeing it as a buying opportunity. I know people use this all the time, but if your favorite store was having a sale, you wouldn't run from it. So why run from your investments? They go on sale, quote unquote. You know what I mean? Right. And that goes back to conviction. It's like, I know that the companies I I bought, I love them at whatever price, like let's say $50 on some random stock. Like if the stock then hits $40, like I'm even more in love with it. I'm not scared of it. So, so yeah, like absolutely. All right. Lightning round, take us home. Uh, I'm just going to hit you with a few questions. Just answer right away. And I'd just love to hear your takes on these. Favorite, uh, first one, favorite movie or TV show? Um, so favorite movie is going to be There Will Be Blood uh, with Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, just about like, uh, it's kind of like about like early oil in America. And like, he's kind of this just like ruthless oil tycoon. Wow. Um, right. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's a great movie. That sounds uh, also. Favorite favorite TV show is The Office. Just feel good show. Classic. Got to put that on whenever, and it's it always brings a smile to my face. Netflix, bring it back. 
<laughs> please peacock you ruined my life yeah right tell me about it <laughs> uh favorite quote doesn't even have to be investing just quote in general all right i got this one screenshotted so i don't mess it up okay <laughs> it, it is investing related classic That's Peter Lynch. your ultimate success or failure will depend on your ability to ignore the worries of the world long enough to allow your investments to succeed dude yeah that comes back to ignoring the noise and conviction that's a banger Absolutely. Totally. If I had to answer my favorite quote, it's a Mike Tyson one. It's everybody has everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. I think that's a banger quote that applies. I thought you were gonna go with I'm the conqueror. He's no conqueror. I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. That's a classic. Oh <laughs> uh, dude, Mike Tyson, just quotable gold. Absolutely. All right. Number three, underrated cartoon in your life. Uh gotta be like i don't know if this is underrated but my favorite growing up was absolutely rugrats Rugrats, dude yeah i feel like uh what's so funny is i'm a teacher and like we were reading something today in class and so one of the ki- people's names was tommy and he was like one of my kids was like oh like the rugrats i was like dude i can't believe you know that how do you know yeah. tommy from the rugrats that's so funny that that actually happened what a throwback yeah yeah right all right last one if you want to answer it spicy hot take spicy hot take is that 3m is an absolutely banging price right now and <laughs> y'all are gonna see it on my twitter feed buying some more because i feel like when we look back at this thing in 10 years we're gonna be like 100 3m how's that even possible dude i hope to see it for you bro i love it's this a spicy thing. one i'm i'm alone on this island but that's Man. why that's that's a market you know what i mean you have buyers and sellers some people love a stock and when everybody hates a stock there's somebody out there that thinks they're getting like an incredible price so well sticking to your guns dude i love it bristol thank you so much for coming on dude this has been a blast and we gotta catch up and do more of these man absolutely we should definitely do like more casual ones um on twitter where it's just like back and forth and stuff for sure bro all right dude thank you guys for listening see you guys soon bye have a good one bye-bye The speakers on this podcast may have positions in any of the stocks mentioned and may buy or sell them at any time. No investment mentioned is a recommendation or financial advice. Please do your own research before investing in anything.